If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20. We'll pick up where we left off last week, beginning in verse 32. When you think about that last song, let us not give our souls to another. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning, about how we may not have idols in our house as far as statues that we bow down to. Um, I have friends that do, who are not American, you know, from other countries, and in their countries they're used to having a dedicated room in their house that does have statues, that does have idols and stuff like that. We may not have it like them, but rest assured we have idols in our life. And idols, I've said for years, my personal definition of an idol is anything that we give more time and attention and energy to than we do God has the potential of being an idol in our life. So what is it that we are lending our souls to as far as in the name of life and our culture and our day-to-day living that is getting more time and attention and focused energy than we are God, given to God? And that's who we're giving our souls to. Uh, it's, 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 It's hard. Anybody else struggle with that? I mean, there's a lot of things I like. A lot of things I enjoy. A lot of things that, if I'm not careful, I could easily just kind of get swept away by those things. And got to keep things in perspective, and the right perspective. Let's go ahead and read. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I want to read, just as a recap, verses 25, because I think from 25 to 31, it's a recap. And then 32 is kind of like the final exhortation. Then I want to begin reading verse 32 as well. But let's read starting with verse 25. It says, Indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. As we said last week, he's getting ready to leave. He'd been there for a period of time. And we see at the end of verse 38 where they escort him to the ship and he's gone. He says, they're going to come point that you won't see me anymore. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And we stopped right there for a minute. We said, so he says, no one can come back to me and blame me for not sharing my faith. Nobody can come back and say, well, you didn't tell me. He says, I was faithful. And we asked the question, who in your family... If you knew that they were headed towards destruction, you wouldn't stop them. Who of your family, if you knew that they're, you know, going off a cliff, that you wouldn't try to stop them from going off the cliff because you love them, you care for them. And yet spiritually, we know that they're unsaved. We know that they're not, they have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And yet we continue to let them go knowing where their end will be. Because, oh, we don't talk about money, we don't talk about politics, and we definitely don't talk about religion in our family. Anybody have one of those families? I mean, good night. On my wife's side of the family, we were all believers and we still don't talk about religion because, you know, there's this denomination, this denomination, this denomination. I love what her grandfather used to say. Son, I think you're going to realize that when we get to heaven, there's going to be several more denominations than what you thought up there. You know, true, right? But do you love them enough? to tell them how they can be saved. 
Then he goes on, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And now he says he turns the attention inward to the church. Take heed to yourself and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves. You know, think about that word savage. He doesn't just say wolves are going to come in. Not just these meek, mild, you know, wolves from a distance. He says savage wolves. I mean, doesn't that just kind of put some terror into it? Yeah, it's not going to be subtle. It's not going to be, you know, secretly. And he says, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So they're going to kind of distract and uh, cause disunity. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. He said, I prayed over this. He shed tears over the ministry that God entrusted to him here with these Ephesian elders and to the church for which he was trying to protect them. And now, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God in the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all went freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all, for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Paul continues to share his heart with these elders, these pastors that had come from Ephesus. He knows he's not going to be with them much longer. And so all the more, I, I, I don't know too, but I remember the last words that my dad shared with me when I left home for the last time. I was uh, done with Bible college. I had loaded up my little 1984 Chevy S10 you know, a truck, and uh, I was completely filled up, ready, heading to Pennsylvania to work for the, you know, for a few weeks and get set up in our, you know, in the place, and then heading to Texas to get married. I was all loaded up, and all of a sudden, I put the car in reverse, or my truck in reverse, I got to the end of the driveway, which is just 40 feet, and then my dad steps up and he goes, I'm like, Really? We already hugged, we gave our goodbyes, we cried, whatever, and what I forget? I didn't forget anything. I put it back in drive, went to the front of the driveway again, and my dad goes, come inside. I'm like, really? I'm loaded up, ready to go. He goes, come inside, come inside. And so I walk inside the front door, and he knew I was getting ready to leave for Texas in a little bit, Pennsylvania, then to Texas to get married. And he goes like this, see that, see that, see that, see that, see that, see that. And he's pointing to everything in the house. The furniture, remember the old days of Curtis Mathis, the nice big TV. And those days, they're small compared to like, you know, today's screens. But his stereo system in the corner, he was just pointing out everything. 
And his words that I'll never forget. It took your mother and I 30 years to get this stuff. Don't feel like you need it the first year of your marriage. Have a good trip. I will never forget those parting words. Those words have rung through to me my entire life. And, and if this describes you, don't be offended. I'm just going to say it because it's just an observation. And my wife is like, oh, please don't go there. It's amazing to me how many times I do a wedding ceremony in this day and age. And they have everything. Right now, including $40,000 of credit card debt. And it just blows my mind. I'm so thankful that my dad said, you don't need all this right now. There have been times in my life where I shut the cable off. Because it was just too much. There are times that we went without cell phone early on, even though it was cool to have one. Some of you are old enough to remember when cell phones started. You had the bag, the bag cell phone from you know one cellular or whatever it was. But here's the thing: we remember final words. Those of you that have had someone that you love pass away, you remember the last conversation you had with them. Some of you that have kids who live outside of the state, you remember the last things that you say before they left. It's important to remember last words. How many of you remember the last words of your parents before they passed? You never forget them. They're important. Because usually when somebody imparts final words, it's something to remember. And that's what he's saying here. In verse 32, he says, So now, in light of everything, in, in, in light of what I've done for the last three years, take heed. So finally, last but not least, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. Why? Why is he saying this? Because Paul is, Paul is if, you, if you will, he's there as some, in, some sort, in some capacity as a protector, right? I mean, whether you want to look at it like this or not, I mean, Paul's not just a little, you know, little flimsy guy sitting in the corner of a church building somewhere. He's up bold and up front and teaching and encouraging and exhorting and protecting the flock, Right? He is up there and he's up front and he is, for lack of better terms, he's the strength. And he says, but I'm not going to be here to do this now. How many of you remember when you sent your kids to school? He's like, you're on your own now. <laughs> or when they went off and left your house and they got their first apartment or first uh, college dorm room and you sent them away. It's like, you're on your own now. Or some of you had to put your kids out and you said, you're on your own now. I cannot protect you anymore. You have to remember what I've said to you. You have to remember how I've trained you. You have to remember. And you're either going to do it or don't. Right? But that's where he's at. I believe that Paul had a commitment to pray for these folks and to make sure that they had learned to rest in and abide in the Word. I mean, this is not a situation like it says in 1 Peter 2, 2, that they would grow as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that they may grow thereby. He says, I have taught you. And, and by the way, and one of the things I hear from my fellow pastors is that I feel like, man, I've been preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching, and everybody's still sipping on their, on their milk in the sippy cup. Isn't that a 
kind of a scary thought? To think that people can go to church year after year after year after year and still be sipping milk out of their sippy cup? Spiritually? Hopefully that doesn't describe it. I don't think it does. But I've also said many times, if you're not growing at this church, it's your own fault. There are plenty of opportunities to get involved and to get into the meat of the Word. But if you don't choose it, Howard Hendricks, you know, people used to tell Howard Hendricks, well, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. He goes, yeah, you can. You can sweeten the water a little bit. That horse will drink it. And I think sometimes we try to sweeten the water to get people to do it that just don't want to do it. The bottom line is, he says, we need to grow from the milk to the meat. And this is what he's challenging them to do. Get away from the milk and get onto the meat. Why? Because you're going to have to protect yourselves. Spiritually speaking. And I think it does two things when we do this. According to verse 32, it says, So no, brethren, I commend you to, the God and the, to God and the Word of His grace. And it says two things. Which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. He says, first of all, he goes, when you, I commend you to, to God's grace and, 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 and to the Word of His grace. He says, it's going to build you up. You want strength? You want, you want real biblical strength? you got to get in the Word. You have to. There are no shortcuts for that. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, he says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which will also, which also effectively works in you who believe. Why? Because it is living. It's not dead. It's not just pages on a piece of paper in a book somewhere. It is the living Word of God. And he says that in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Right? The Word of God is alive. And he says it's the Word of God that effectually works in us. But if God's Word is not working in you, you have to ask yourself why. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for evangelists or missionaries. It's not just for Sunday school teachers. It's for all of us to get in it and to study it. And you know what you really ought to do, honestly? And I'm not offended if you to do this. Go home and be like the Bereans and see if what Pastor Ken has said is right. Study it for yourself. You may come back and say, Ken, I don't see it that way. Okay, and I'll say like Johnny Hunt says, you have the right to be wrong, but that's okay. I'm glad you're studying it. No, I was just kidding. But the reality is we have, the, we have a mandate from God for you to get in the Word and to study it. Don't just expect to live off what I give you. You can't live off what I give you. I can't live off what I give me. I need to have other time in the Word throughout the week and, ch- and be challenged by that. But not only that, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, 17 says, And without contrary, great is the mystery of godliness. I'm looking at the wrong, I got that the wrong verse. I do. Well, let's look at the right one. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is uh, 1 Timothy, not 2, that I was reading. But the reality is what? It says if you want to be thoroughly equipped, if you want to be complete, if you want to be mature, you have to study the Word. You have to. I can't impress upon that. I, I, I would love to be able to just like osmosis, you know, just kind of like stick in there, okay, get in there, get in there, get in there, get in there. But it just doesn't work that way. You've got to take time. And if you don't plan, it's a, 
you're not going to do it. But we had to take at least a moment out of every day just to take some time and get to know God better. To know His Word better. To be strengthened by it. And then he says, not only will it build you up, it will also give you an inheritance. Think about that. He says, I commend you to the, to the Word of God and, and, the, and, 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 and His Word. Build you up. Give you an inheritance. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. You know, when we begin to have a knowledge of who God is, you know, how many times have we said to ourselves, well, I should probably say something to somebody, but I just don't really know what to say. How many of you have ever thought that before? I think most of us. But you know how you will know, begin to know what to say? The more you know the Word. The more you get in the Word and study it and apply it, I, I'm just telling you. So I was challenging someone last week. There are 31 books in the book of, chapter, or in the book of Proverbs, right? So ever since I was in 7th grade, somebody challenged me to read a proverb a day. Because there's 31 days in the month, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, read a chapter a day. So for years and years and years, I read a proverb a day. If it's the 16th of January, I read Proverbs 16. If it's the 25th of February, I read Proverbs 25. Whatever day of the month it is, I read that chapter. I did that for years and years and years. And you know, there's two things that's amazing about that. First time, or the first thing is this. I can't tell you how many times I've read that same chapter over and over and over and over and over again in the years and God showed me something different I didn't see before. Isn't that amazing? But the second thing is also true is that the more you read it, the more it's ingrained in your mind and the more you begin to think the things that you are reading because it's repetition. How do we teach our kids ABCs? Repetition, right? How do we learn the Bible? Through repetition and the Holy Spirit working through that to teach you. You want to know what to say to people when the Holy Spirit prompts you? Well, two things. Get in the Word so you can learn it. And number two, rely on the Holy Spirit. Because He says, I will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever things I've taught you, right? So either God's a liar through His Holy Spirit or He's going to do what He says. It's our, it's our, it's our response to it. So we don't really have a valid excuse. You know, I, I've jumped on that one. I have. I think we all have. But it's nothing more than an excuse. But we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Because he says it will give us the ability to, uh, to learn and to grow and to know. But not only that, he says in verse 32 also, or verse 33 and 34, he says this, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. So he says, I've exemplified my hard work among you. Three things. He goes, I have not coveted anyone's silver, gold, or apparel. It's a good thing nobody's you know, has, has coveted my apparel. It'd be, it'd be way too big for you. Uh, I, you know, I'm amazed. You know, people always say, you know, like, this is a side note. It's a squirrel, by the way, if you can't cut on here. It's just like, when I pack to go somewhere, it's like, man, you got a huge suitcase. I'm a big guy for crying out loud. My pants are bigger than yours. It's going to be a bigger suitcase. Get over it. But he says, I didn't, I didn't covet your gold. I didn't cover your silver. I didn't covet your clothing. He says, I came in with pure motives. I came in with a, with, 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 with a right heart. And he says, I've used my own hands to provide for myself. 
And I have demonstrated how you can support the weak. And I feel like there's times in my life where I've had to do that. I think the first seven or eight years that I was here, I plowed during the winter months, just to make a little extra. I've mowed yards for the first several years I was here to make a little extra, and then church has been very gracious, and I'm, I'm well taken care of, and I thank you for that. I appreciate it. But there are times that he says, I had, I, I, he goes, I didn't want to be a burden to you. You know, I, I didn't want you to suffer because of, because I because of my needs, and I still feel that way. I don't want you to be a burden. You know, I, I've I've got friends who come to me and they say, "Ken, I, I don't know, my church can't continue to pay me. I, I think I'm just going to quit." Okay, so now we got to have this conversation I have about once a week with somebody. Did God call you, or is it a career choice? If it's a career choice, then then get out of the work, find something else to do. Please do. But if God has called you to this, trust Him. Trust Him. So I have one friend right now, he goes, well, I think I'm going to go bivocational. I'm like, okay, fine. Is, is God telling you to do that? He goes, well, I don't want to go bivocational. If I have to go bivocational, I'm going to quit. Okay. Then you're choosing a different career. You say this, are you pretty hard-nosed about this? I am pretty hard-nosed about it. I really am. Because I feel this way. If God's called you, Fulfill the calling. And I feel that way about your job too, by the way. Because I think ministry can happen in any context. This might be vocational ministry for me, but I'm here because God's called me here. You may be an insurance agent. That may be your your calling, but ministry can happen there while you're doing insurance sales. Ministry can happen anywhere. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, the, it's the heart behind what you're, why you're doing what you do. And the reality is if God calls you, He'll sustain you. And so, little squirrel there. He goes, I did not desire when I came in here any man's gold, silver, apparel. I didn't, you know, I was willing to work with my own hands, provide for myself and my team, he says. He must have made some really, really nice tents. That's all i got to say. Because if he's providing for both himself and his team, they must have done pretty well. Praise God for it, right? God gave him the ability to provide for himself. But not only that, he says, I have demonstrated how you can support the weak. Um, so he goes, I didn't just support myself. I supported my team. I supported the weak and the poor. I don't know about you, but we are so consumed in this culture and this world that we live in about taking care of self that we don't have the ability or the desire or the bandwidth to help other people. What do I mean by that? So I shared this with a group last week, and I think it's it's worth repeating. If you're on a dark, if you're on a, if you're if you're driving down the road in the dark, and let's say there's a few twists and turns in some of the roads because some roads have twists and turns. Question: Do you want to drive down a road with a six foot shoulder in the dark, or do you want to drive down a road that has no shoulder at all? And if you go off, you're going over the edge. Which one would you rather drive on? The shoulder, right? Because if something happens, you got a little bit of safety zone, right? Makes sense? I've been on some roads in India that if you go off the edge, you're going down. I've been on some roads in different places where, you know, in, down south and uh, near, near, near the Ozarks, they have some, you know, no, no, no embankments. And they, I mean, no, no shoulders. They go right down. I'd rather have a six-foot shoulder than not. But shouldn't we want a six-foot shoulder financially too? Some of us have so maxed out our credit cards 
we have so maxed out our income that even when we get sicker than a dog, you can't call off because, bless God, I got that payment. And the mortgage company doesn't care that you're sick. They don't. You see what I'm saying? We, we live with such tight boundaries that if something else happens that we didn't plan for that was unexpected, we go all over the cliff. But here's the bigger spiritual issue. When we live with no boundaries in our life, you can't help the weak and the poor. You've got nothing extra to give. You are living so tight within your boundary, you can't afford to take off work. Can't afford to not pay that credit card bill. Can't afford to help anyone else. Because it's just so tight. And Paul says, I not only cared for myself, I cared for my team, and I also cared for the weak and the poor. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge to me. To not so far extend myself that I can't help with others. And then he says, why? It is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know about you, but it's a blessing to be able to help people. Sometimes we can't want to, but here's the question. When the Holy Spirit prompts, are you willing? And that's when you ought to be willing. When the Holy Spirit prompts. It's more blessed to give than receive. I won't spend much time there. Verse 36 through 38 says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So, I want to encourage you to remember the words of the Lord is more blessed to yours. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, it says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he is rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, it's an amazing thing that Jesus, though he had nothing of this world to give, he gave of himself. And I think the greatest thing that we could give others in our giving is what? Ourselves. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I find it, as I said a couple weeks ago, a handwritten note means more something means more to me than, 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 a, than something that came off a printer somewhere. Those things just go in the trash. Like, like whatever dealership up the road really cares about my birthday. <laughs> I'm in a computer somewhere as a name. They don't give a flip about me as a person. Yeah, happy birthday, Ken. Oh, by the way, come up to Patrick Chevrolet. Pitch. It doesn't mean anything. But personally, when someone gives of themselves and takes time out of their schedule to invest, that means a lot. And of course, Jesus Christ exemplified it in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God hath God also ha- highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name. He modeled it, what it was like, what it meant to give of himself. And then Luke twelve sixteen through 21 Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. 
Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those who will seek those things will be with those will can't, can't read. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he is who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Bottom line is he says, Listen, where's your focus? If it's on just getting more, you can't take it with you. When you die, you're not taking nothing with you. Bottom line is, invest what you have while you can here on this earth. Two things that will spend the test of time, the souls of men and the Word of God. It's either temporal or eternal. That's your choices. We can build on the, on the temporal, which is in this lifetime, or the eternal, which is the life to come. The souls of men and the Word of God. So at least part of what, we, what God has entrusted to us as His already should be invested in eternal purposes. We've asked this question before, but I do it every few months just to remind us. The three questions when we begin to understand stewardship, biblical stewardship. I wonder what I should do with my money. It's a good question, right? We should ask that question. I wonder what I should do with my money. How many think it's a good question? I think it's a good question. But when you begin to understand it as, from God's perspective, it's the second question. I wonder what I should do with God's money. Now I'm saying it's God's. I've surrendered it as God's. He's entrusted it to me. But when we really get to understand it, it's the third question. I wonder what God wants me to do with his money. And so we begin to understand that what God has entrusted to us, we're just stewards of it. And so he says, so he, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's a mistake. And then this final words, they all knelt down and prayed. I remember even though I don't remember this many times in my life, I do remember my dad also before we had left the house for that last time he and mom did pray with me. I'll never forget that. I mean, I was driving a 1984 Chevy S10. I love that truck. If I could get my hands on one, I'd do it just to fix it up. I love that truck. had a 2.8 V6 in it. had a million miles on the thing. I paid $800 for it because the guy said the engine was shot. It was not shot. Flywheel was out of balance. Replaced the flywheel, ran perfect for another 60 or 70,000 miles. Loved it. You've never seen a S10 loaded down with about 1,000 pounds of brick on the back. It was like this, driving down. Can't, you know. I'm telling you, I, I worked that thing to death. Paid $800 for it, sold it like five years or four years later for 2000 I made out, and I wish I still had it. I love that truck. Before the newfangled touch screens, I hate them things. I hate them things. Just give me a slide. Slides work. Dials don't. They go out. Love that old truck. But think about it. Bottom line is, I remember the last time my parents, my dad prayed to me before I left. And I can only imagine sitting around that circle with Paul and all these people, all these pastors. They're crying because they're not going to see him anymore. Paul's crying because hoping that you know, they've, they've taken in everything he's taught them for three years, that they're going to be on guard for what they know is going to happen next. But they all knelt down and prayed. Then they wept freely and kissed Paul and hung on to his neck. How many hate goodbyes? 
I can remember every time we went to Don's grandparents' house, every time without fail, they, 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 would, they would be right there hugging each other as we're backing out of the driveway. And as we get down the road, they're walking to the end of the driveway and they're watching us. And then they'd watch us down the road and you know, and you got to peep the horn three more times and they're out there waving until they can't see you no more. They hated goodbyes. Got Don on the inside bawling hers, her eyes out. They're out on the outside bawling their eyes out. And, you know, you get, you get the picture. They sorrowed over all and, and contemplated all that Paul had said and taught them. And then it's time for Paul to get on the ship and leave. So the question is, what do you do with the things that you've been taught? I mean, some of you have been to church for years and years and years. Some of you maybe in the last couple of years, maybe in a few weeks, few months, I don't know. But some of you have been in church for years and years and years. I don't know about you, but Paul was hoping that the things that he had taught them for the last three years that they would put into practice. That they would embrace these principles that would help them stand against the savage wolves and those that would come from within and want to distract from the gospel and the Word of God. In order for us to stand strong, that means we have to make a decision that we are going to stand strong. I'd rather be prepared for battle than let the battle come as a shock and a surprise. Anybody agree? I'm, I'm just saying. I like guns. I like ammunition. I like extra food in the freezer. But I want to be prepared if the power goes off. Or, or, or I, I keep joking with my mom. I said, if the apocalypse does really come and that is a thing... I'm going to my mom's house. She's got steak in her freezer this high. I'm getting there one way or another, man. She buys steak every time it's on sale. I'm, 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 I'm going there. But why? We, we want to be prepared, right? Bottom line is, we don't want to be taken by surprise. I mean, good Lord, if you knew someone was going to break in your house Friday night, you think you'd just be sitting there like, oh, well, I'm going to bed at 8 o'clock like normal. No. If you knew something was going to happen, you'd be prepared, ready, waiting for it. I want to be prepared for when the Lord comes, too. I want to be able to say I'm using what God has taught me. I've embraced the principles of Scripture, and I'm ready to fight. That's what Paul was challenging them with. He's saying, listen, I'm not here to defend you anymore. I'm not here to encourage you anymore. I'm getting on that ship, and you're not going to see me again. What are you going to do with what you've been taught? We all have that question to answer in our minds. What are you going to do with what you've been taught? What are you going to do with it? Can't nobody make you do anything with it. Some of you may not use it correctly. I mean, how many can remember giving your kids an allowance or a chunk of money and saying, I hope they don't blow it? How many of you have done that before? I've done it. Knowing full well they're going to blow it. And maybe not use it for what they asked for it for, at least once. But you're hoping, and Paul's hoping, that what he has given them will be used correctly. But you can't make your kid do what's right with it. Any more than I can make you do what's right with the Word of God. It's only when we submit to the Spirit's leading that we begin to do what's right with what we know. And that's what all of us need, is to be submissive to the Spirit so He can work in and through us with the information that we have. And John fourteen twenty six, 
He says, I'll, everything that I've taught you, I will what? Bring it to remembrance with the help of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to go blindly. You just have to trust the Spirit to work through you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do this this week. Lord, I know that when we leave this place, we're going to go a thousand different directions. Lord, some people are going to work. Some people are going to home. You know, this week, you know, some people are going to work on their hobbies and their fun things to do. And other people, Lord, are just going to ignore it, unfortunately. But I pray, God, that we would be like Paul as he challenged his people, Lord, to heed the message to be students of the Word so that we may be able to have strength in defending those wolves and those false teachers that would come from within to distract. I pray, God, that we'd be faithful and diligent and obedient to do all that You've asked of us. So, Lord, work in our hearts this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you say, Pastor, I'm honest with myself. I haven't done much with what I've been taught. Honestly. Like a sponge, I keep taking it in, but I'm never wrung out. It's like a funnel I'm being poured into, but I never let it out. It's time to change that. If you're going to have an impact in the world that you live, at some point you've got to be wrung out. At some point you've got you to pull the plug and say, God can't keep filling you if, you're not, if there's no room to let any more in. Pastor, if I'm if I'm honest with myself, God knows my heart. I I need to start doing doing something with what I know, letting God use me. God's challenged your heart. You say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, yes. I'm back in the sides. Yes. Can I just challenge you? I'm challenging myself too, because I need this. I feel like I've been reading my entire life. I've been studying my entire life. I've been preached at my entire life. And there are times, if I'm not careful, it just becomes a little bit more information. A little bit more information. But we need to use it. Just take a moment and pray. Right there where you're at. Just take a moment and say, God, use me. Fill me. Open up doors of opportunity so I can share it. Just take a moment and pray. If you're challenged... Give it back to God and say, God, use me. Just keep in mind, too, as we're praying, Paul said, is more blessed to give than to receive. He said, I provided for myself, I provided for my team, and I provided for the weak and the poor. Maybe some things have got to change so that I can continue to do that or start doing that. <clears throat> I'm not saying blindly give it to anybody. I'm saying use a trusted organization or a trusted ministry or a trusted person t- to help you be faithful in those areas too. Let's all stand our feet. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that we see in the life of Paul. And Lord, I do pray that you would use us like you did him. He's no greater than us. He's no different than us. He is a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner who you chose to work in his heart. And he, Lord, you did great things through him, Lord, as he surrendered his life to you. 
And Lord, you can do great things through anyone in here who surrenders their life to you. Lord, we never know what you will do through a life that's surrendered. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work and encourage. And Lord, I pray that everyone in this room this morning would understand that you have a plan for their life and you can do great things through them. But Lord, help us to remember these things as we go out and about. That we may apply them and live for you unashamedly, boldly, courageously in this broken world that we live in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.